I'm sensitive to the fact that there might be those who would be very uh, personally affected by this subject. And uh, I, I want to say at the very outset, this is not designed to uh, create any undue guilt or uh, anything that would cause you to feel uncomfortable. Uh, what we want to do is bring a very redemptive message. And uh, it's a subject, of course, that's highly politi politicized. Uh, with so many states in the United States, I think it's seven states now that have, have banned abor abortion to one degree or another. Um, a few years ago, I was speaking in Connecticut, and uh, they'd asked me to do a series on counseling. And uh, I was there for two weeks, and we were going every night of the week, and during the daytime, we had um, sessions with individuals and with gr small groups. And in one of those groups, there was about 10 women. And one of the women, um, she was in her 60s, and she shared for the very first time that she had, an, had had an abortion when she was in her 20s. And she carried guilt about that and wouldn't tell a soul. And uh, she was a very faithful member of the church. People just had great respect for her. So everyone was just very shocked when she shared this in the group. And later she shared it in the whole congregation. And she said, for years I carried guilt. Uh, I had killed my baby. And, and she could not escape that guilt. And she couldn't share what she had done with anybody in the church. But through that week, she found freedom to be able to share. And uh, more than just share, we had a little ceremony where the unborn child uh, was given a name and dedicated to the Lord. And uh, the, the church just loved on this woman, just embraced her, honored her for the disclosure she had made, and also to bring a sense of freedom uh, from what had happened in her life. And so um, this is not designed to create guilt. It's designed to bring freedom. Um, you can show the first slide there, um, Chris. Um, this is something very interesting. Abortion in Canada is legal at all stages of pregnancy and is governed by the Canada Health Act. Now, while some non-legal obstacles exist, Canada is only one of a few nations with no legal restrictions on abortions. Regulations and accessibility vary between provinces. Prior to 1969, all abortion was illegal in Canada. So up till 1969, it was illegal to have abortion. And since then, Canada really has no restrictions on this subject, except for what local authorities in the provinces uh, might exact. Uh, the second slide, approximately 100,000 plus abortions happen in Canada every year. Um, and it, by the plus, it's usually up around 108, 109. Uh, sometimes it's gone as low as a little less than 100,000. Here in Nova Scotia, approximately 2,000 abortions take place every year. In the United States, 638,169 abortions, uh, these are reported abortions, um, happened in the United States. So abortion is something that is very common in our world. 
uh, worldwide. Um, th there's estimates are, and I don't know how these estimates came about, but since 1980, it's estimated that one and a half billion unborn uh, children have been aborted. That's an amazing number, and I don't know how to verify that. I just read it in some statistics. I want to go to the Bible and talk about what the Bible says about abortion. Now, actually, the word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible, but the principles surrounding it do. And we're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 1, and this is the third slide. It's called the creative order. And by that, I mean the order of things that existed in the beginning when God created us. Now, this was before sin entered the world. It was before uh, there was any such thing as death. There was no separation from God. And it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, this is known as the age of innocence. There was nothing that separated man from God. And God created man and woman equal. He created male and female. He created them to be equal. There was no superiority of male over female, such as we see so often in our world today. In the creative order, they were actually considered one in two parts, male and female. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God created them, but after that, the rest of humankind was created through a partnership with God that we sometimes refer to as procreation. So God didn't just continue to take the dust of the, the ground and make another new couple and just follow that original process. He passed that process on to the human race to partner with him in bringing new life into this world. It's, an, it's a marvelous thing. The fact that God has invested in you and in me and all the human race the creative power of producing life. It's, it's really, truly amazing. And it's, it's a partnership that we have with God. Well, at that time, there was no such thing as death. There was no such thing as people passing away, that God didn't create death. This is the creative order. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There was no sin. It's referred to as the time of innocence. But from order, we come to chaos. And this is the fourth slide. This, and it's in Genesis chapter uh, 4, verses 6 to 8. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. So here, just in one generation away from the original created couple, we have murder, we have anger, we have chaos. We have something that so characterizes our world ever since. And so there is broken hearts, broken lives, there's woundedness, there's the, the amount of war that is taking place, has taken place since this time, since Adam and Eve sinned. And basically what their sin was, was to choose life apart from God, to separate themselves from the creative order. The things that God had ordained in the beginning, they chose to go a different path. And we've been doing that ever since. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all departed from the principles of God's word and for the loving kindness that he wants to show toward us. So it was a, a world of chaos, and it exists to this day. But then we move into a different order, and uh, this is the order of redemption. And Jesus is referred to as our Redeemer throughout the Bible. I just chose one scripture to use, and it's Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, slide 5. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, that is so precious. He belongs to you, your Redeemer. He's given himself to the human race. In the midst of all of our chaos and sin and separation from God, he came into the world and offered himself as a gift, and he still does that today. Your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. Jesus came to reclaim that which was lost, to create a something that was different than the order that Cain had brought into this world. Well, actually, it was his parents, but it was manifest in Cain. And, and unlike the world that Cain represents, Jesus represents a world of peace, of love, acceptance, of life, and forgiveness for all of our sins. This is a new order. It's the redemptive order. And so right now in the world, we have chaos on one hand, and on the other hand, we have another way of living, and it's called the kingdom of God, where Jesus redeems us from all the curses that came through sin and liberates us to all the blessings that come to us through life, the life that God gives us. And we give him praise this morning for that. We give him thanks. Uh, and... Uh, you probably have heard me say this before, but at my funeral, and, and the date isn't set yet, but when it is, one of the songs that I've asked my wife to make sure it's included, if, she's, if she hasn't preceded me to heaven, is I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. How on the cross... He sealed my pardon 
He paid the debt. And he set me free. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is the one who liberates us and cancels in our lives all of the shame and all of the sin, all of the mistakes that any of us and all of us have made. There are many scriptures in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, that talk about about, uh, life that actually begins at conception. Marlene texted me this morning and she said, Bruce, just a thought. Um, you realize that the first person to rejoice at the, the announcement of the birth of Jesus was a fetus. And it's true. John the Baptist. Well, Psalm 138, verse 13 to 16. For you created my innermost being. This is slide six. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There's so many things that he says in this chapter, in these few verses. You knit me, you knit me in my mother's womb. So he's identifying himself as a person, as a human being, when he was in his mother's womb. And, And the expression is knit. Interesting how you weave threads to make a fabric and how a a beautiful metaphor that is for what God does with the unborn child. I watched Amari here at the front this morning and uh, just a precious little girl. And she's sitting there not really aware of what we're doing as a worship service, but very much engaged, and she'd look around at mom and then look around at dad, and is there, as long as they're here, everything's okay. And I just, I'm just watching her as it was, uh, she's just so precious. And, and so she's still in the formative stages of her life. But that formative stage went back to conception. It went back to the very time when she first was created in her mother's womb. I was made in the secret place. <laughs> the unknown place is where David said, I was made there. I, I and so he uses, he wasn't just saying a, a fetus or some embryo or something, but I, a person, I, I was made in the secret place. And your eyes saw my unformed body. Even before it took on an identity that you could see. And we have, uh, you know, uh, ultrasounds now. We can see the fetus. We can see the unborn child. But he said, before, before that even happened, you saw me. You were there with me. So there's other phrases in that text that talk about life beginning at conception. At the time, the very, uh, very first um, moment that a man and woman come together in conception. 
Uh, by the way, uh, I have my notes. They're available. I've got 10 copies on the front there. And basically what you have is my preaching notes. So all the slides are on there. And you're welcome to them. If you want an email copy, you can sign up for it there on that clipboard. But the United States Senate asked for scientists to come and to discuss with a, a judiciary committee about when does life actually begin? Because, of course, this is very much a part of uh, what is in the United States known as Roe v. Wade, which in 1973 uh, legalized abortion in the United States. And so uh, if you put up slide seven, it says, a United States Senate Judiciary Subcommittee invited experts to testify on the question of when life begins. And all the quotes from the following experts come directly from the official government record of their testimony. And the website is on the notes if you want to find it. I just selected a few. There are more than what I've quoted here. But slide eight. Uh, Dr. Alfred von, von Goanini, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, pro professor of pediatrics and obstetrics at the University of P Pennsylvania stated this. I am no more prepared to say that these early stages of development in the womb represent an incomplete human being than I would be to say that the child prior to the dramatic effects of puberty is not a human being. This is human life at every stage. Next slide. Dr. Jerome uh, Lejeune, professor of genetics at the University of Descartes in Paris, was the discover, discoverer of the chromosome pattern of Down syndrome. And he said this, after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. He stated that it is no longer a matter of taste or opinion and not a metaphysical contention. It is plain experimental evidence. He added, every individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Uh, the next slide. Professor uh, Gordon of the Mayo Clinic said this, by all criteria of modern molecular biology, life is present from the moment of conception. Professor Matthews of uh, Harvard Univers uh, University Medical School said this, it is incorrect to say that biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. Our laws, one function of which is to help preserve the lives of our people, should be based on accurate, accurate scientific data. In other words, what uh, uh, she's saying is that our laws that permit abortion are not based upon scientific evidence. We take life, the life of an unborn child, 
And all scientific, all science points to the fact that that life is human. Um, all kinds of questions come to play. What about a child that is deformed? Hmm. What about a diagnosis of a baby that's not born yet, but by all accounts will likely come into this world with deformities? Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, slide 12, says this, and this is really quite a profound statement. The Lord said to him, now this is Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, said the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Well, this is really quite a powerful statement. Um, God, who, who makes the blind? Who makes the deaf? Who makes... Uh, Children be born with deformities, and God says, isn't it I? And, and we might say, well, does God create a human disease? Um, what is he saying here? Well, the context is that Moses is saying, I was born deformed. I was born with a speech impediment, and I can't really talk. And you're sending me, and this is what God had said to him, you go to Pharaoh, the, <laughs> the one who heads up the whole Egyptian um, nation and who holds my people Israel captive, you go and tell him to let my people go, to set them free. And Moses said, I, I, I was born with an impediment. And, and, and God says, well, yeah, that's true. And there's lots of people that are born with impediments, with deformities. It's not that God created impediment or deformity or human weakness or suffering or sickness. He's not the author of evil. But the fact is that in a world that is broken and lost and separated from God, we have all of these kind of phenomena in our world that are not created by God. Death itself is not God's will. And yet we all are born to die. So what is God saying here? He's saying that regardless of what deformity we might have, even if it's prior to birth, or the kind of unfortunate things that might be true of our existence when we come into this world and we live our lives, such as blindness or uh, Down syndrome or various kinds of, uh, of human frailty and weakness, uh, we can be born deaf, blind, all of these different kinds of disadvantages. God, God still works through that. He said to Moses, it doesn't matter what condition you find yourself in in this world. If you're born with some of these impediments, I still work redemption through that. Moses, I will use you if you'll be bold enough to go to Pharaoh. I will give you the unction that you need. And Moses said, Moses listened to all this. And then he says, pardon your servant, Lord. Pardon me. Uh, excuse me for interrupting. 
Um, I know what you're trying to say, but I have something to add to this, and that is, please send someone else. You might be here at this vantage this morning for one reason or another. You might have made life choices that you regret. You might not have been, been born with blindness or some other uh, deformity or some other disadvantage. But we all are victims of sin. We're all people who have been born into a world that was separated from God, into, the, into a world of chaos. And God doesn't just disqualify us for that reason. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, how we were disadvantaged at birth or disadvantaged through life, maybe through an accident or something like that, God works with every person. His redemptive purposes. And no one is disqualified. I know that there are parents that struggle with children who have disadvantages. Sometimes they're mental disadvantages. Sometimes they're physical. And it's like, why God? Why has this happened to me? And, I, and, and as I see parents who struggle with those, those things, I think, oh God, if you just would heal the child, if you would just bring healing. And God miraculously does that, thanks be to the Lord. But we also know that God works through human weakness to bring about his glory. Sometimes that can be a man sitting for 40 years, crippled at the gate of a temple, of a religious structure. And then Peter and John come by and say, we, we don't have any money to give you, but in the name of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And we see the marvelous power of God demonstrated through his healing grace. But however it happens, or whatever means God chooses, his marvelous grace works in our lives in spite of our weaknesses, deformities, and sins. And he disqualifies no one. I came across this site that is rather unique. It's called Feminists for Life. Uh, and now, a feminist usually is we consider to be somebody who's, uh, you know, anti-God, anti-man, uh, just really, uh, you know, it's not something that we really honor in, in Christian circles. But this is a different kind of a feministic group. They're called Feminists for Life. And I've taken some quotes from them, and uh, you can put the next slide up. It's slide 12, and you can find that uh, on the notes, the, the website. And so this is non-sectarian. It's not a religious group. And they said this, abortion is a reflection that we have not met the needs of women. Abortion masks the real needs of women in the workplace, schools, home, and society. In society, the poor, the working poor, women in difficulty, and often abusive relationships, and students and women in the workplace whose basic needs are ignored. 
And so what he's saying, what this group is saying is that abortion masks the real unmet needs of women. Women are getting abortions because their needs aren't met and they don't know where else to turn. It seems like the only logical thing that they can do. And yet this group of feminists uh, take a different position. They also said this, uh, slide 14. Feminists for Life is dedicated to systematically eliminating the root causes that drive women to abortion. Primarily, the lack of practical resources and support through holistic, women-centered solutions. Women deserve better than abortion. <sighs> and then this one is my favorite one of theirs. And uh, it's slide 15. We believe in a woman's right to control her body. And she deserves this right no matter where she lives, even if she's still living inside her mother's womb. Hmm. Very well said. <sighs> slide 16. This is what God says. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So often they had chosen things that were not life, that God had not ordained. They chose things that were compromises, the worship of false gods, sexual immorality, and, well, just any imaginable sin. And they often made the wrong choice, and as a result of that, they fell under the curse of life apart from God. And he's saying, but you don't have to live that way. You can choose life. And I'm setting before you the option. Which one will you choose? Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the gospel is so beautifully portrayed here. The life of God, one of the Greek words for life is zoe, which really literally means the life of God. The life that we had before that terrible cataclysmic fall from God's, from the innocence that God created us, in in the beginning and into a, a life in a world of chaos where we lost the life of God and the result of that it, we entered into death in so many ways and God says I, I, I choose to give you my Zoe my my life I, I choose it, it's it's a gift that I give to you, that you can partner with me just as I partnered with the first man and the wo and woman to live in a life that is free from the curse of death and of sin. I, I, I urge you 
Choose life. Choose life. Listen to the voice of God and hold fast to him. Embrace him. Serve him. Love him. <laughs> and oh, that's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. The message of the church is not a message of condemnation. To say some, to somebody, well, you're condemned because you had an abortion, or you're condemned because you robbed a bank, or you're condemned because you committed adultery, or you're condemned because of this or that or the other thing. Usually we love to condemn people for sins that we haven't committed. But that's not what the message of God is. That certainly isn't the message of Jesus. It's not the message of this church. God isn't here to bring condemnation in the world, the Bible tells us, because the world is already condemned. But God came into this world, loved us so much that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish under the curse of sin and death, but will have Zoe, the life of God, eternal life. And the question is, what choices will we make? That's always a daily choice. Satan, of course, wants us to make the wrong choice. He's here to kill, to steal, and to destroy, the Bible says. But Jesus said, that's his business. And we see it manifest all around us. But I've, here, I've come to give you life, to give you Zoe, and to give it abundantly. Wow, not just enough to get by, not just enough to survive, not just enough to make it through, but to live your life down here full of the abundance of God's goodness and God's life, God's joy. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what disadvantages you might have. Hmm. Back to the redemptive order. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that characterizes uh, women who've had abortions often is this terrible sense of not being able to be forgiven by God. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be abortion. It can be something else. But it's just that sense, that sense that I am so flawed. I fall so far short. I have done so many things wrong. I'm bound by so many habits that I can't break, that I don't need, even if I come to him, I'll only embarrass myself because I'm destined to repeat the same pattern over and over again. And so um, it, it's hard for some to believe that redemption can really take place, that the forgiveness of sins is more than just forgetting. In fact, God doesn't forget our sins. He doesn't remember them anymore. And that's a complete different thing because God is not forgetful. If he was, he'd be flawed. 
but he's not. And so the reason he doesn't remember them is because he's removed them. They don't exist. They're gone. And that's the work of the cross. That's the work of Jesus. He doesn't just put our sins over here, and if we make a mistake, he opens up the lid and says, see? No, they're gone. They are remitted. That literally means removed. And that's the gospel. That is the, that's redemption. That's the gift that he offers to us, no matter what we've done. And it's in accordance with the riches of his grace. And I love this last part of that verse, that he lavishes on us. That he lavishes on us. I listened to CBC yesterday, the radio program for a little while because I was waiting for some friends to meet me at Tim Hortons. Um, they were passing through going to Newfoundland. Some of you would know who they are, Ray and Juanita Whalen. And so I was sitting, they were later than, than I thought they'd be, and so I was just sitting in the parking lot waiting for them to come, and I was listening to CBC. <clears throat> and there was a, a woman who was a native, and she was talking about how uh, her her life is just like a, a mad river. Her mind is full of this raging torrent, and, and it causes her to act out in so many different ways. And she says, but when I smudge, when I go into a smudge tent, it's like the river becomes less and a little calmer. It's still there, but it's not raging to the same degree. And I thought to myself, oh, that is so different than what Jesus offers. Yes, the river of anxiety and stress and fear and whatever else can rage through our lives like a roaring river. But he doesn't just shrink it or cause it to, to leave us in a state of greater peace or less turmoil. He removes it. That raging torrent of shame and regret and mistakes. Uh, it's, not, it's not just quelled a little bit. It's not just subsided. It's gone. He lavishes his grace upon us where once sin abounded. And the Bible tells us in Romans that where sin abounded, and it certainly does in our world today, grace did much more abound. The grace, the love of Jesus that sets us free, that removes all the mistakes, that takes us from all the tragedies of life that have happened to us, not because we chose them to be. Uh, none of us chose to be born. Our parents made that choice for us. And if you're born with some kind of weakness or perhaps an inability, uh, you might think, well, why did God make me like this? In fact, psychologists say that most people are not comfortable with the way they look. When they look in their mirror, there's always something they'd like to change. 
That's an inherent sense of shame, an inherent sense that came from the fall of man and woman in the beginning where they separated themselves from God and chose to seek life apart from his will and his blessing and brought us into a world of chaos. And it, it manifests itself in so many ways. One of them is to not like yourself, to loathe yourself, and to compare yourself with somebody else who might be more talented or more this or more that or the more other thing. And you say, if only I could be like them. And so we find different ways of masking our pain. For the woman on the radio, it was to go into a smudge tent. Somebody else, it could be alcohol a place to go where you can find some sense of relief from all of the things that have happened to you that trouble you and hurt you. It can be drug addiction. It can be sexual addiction. It can be so many things that are life apart from God. And every time you make a mistake, the devil just loves to go over to this bin of past sins that are actually remitted and gone and say, no, they're not. They're still there. And so the, the, the mindset that the enemy tries to create in you is that there's no hope. That change can never really happen. That you can never come into freedom. Uh, Tina, come with your group. And I've asked that you sing this song. This song, song was sung at uh, Watoto on Wednesday. And as I was sitting there and they were singing it, I said, it has to happen on Sunday morning too. The enemy's business is to destroy you, to take the things that have happened to you and magnify them. But God said, and he said it to Moses, you look at your impediments and say, I can't do it. I can't meet this, meet this insurmountable challenge that goes beyond my natural ability. And God said, yes, you can. Because I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew the things that would happen, to, how you would be formed. I, I, I wasn't absent when that happened. And you're born into a world of brokenness, sometimes with physical manifestations of that brokenness. But I'm still with you. I am your Redeemer. I am the one who sustains and comforts you. I will be with you to the end. I don't know who that word is for this morning. It might be somebody who's had an abortion. It might be for somebody else who's struggling with something different than that. But the word of the Lord is this. <laughs> he that the Son sets free is truly free. <laughs>